and welcome to the LA 2.0 radio show today. I'm your guest host, David Edgerton Jr., and I'm so happy to be with you today to share a couple of thoughts with you. Uh, Ellie is taking a little bit of a vacation, if you will. Not really a vacation. She just couldn't make it today. But I really want to thank her for the opportunity to be a part of what she is doing in America Day today. And what that is, is she is helping us realize how much of an idealist we all are. So today's show, we're going to basically talk about a few things. I think the first segment of the show, we're going to talk about what does it cost us to treat people differently? I want to talk about that and give you a few numbers there. Uh, we're going to talk about basically the money that's left on the table by treating people differently. And then we're going to talk about a little bit later, uh, one of my favorite things, uh, poker, uh, Texas Hold'em. But I want to talk about it in a way that helps us make our life a little bit better, which is how it helped me improve my life. And I'm not talking about just the game, but what I learned from it. And then later on, we'll talk about something that is very important to me, which is being world class. What does that mean? And basically what we'll say there is this, how do you make what you have the best there is, or better yet, the best you have, how do we make the best you have the best there is? Okay. We'll talk a little bit about that. And I think that'll be our show today. So let's jump into it. The money on the table. So we know as we look at what's going on on the planet and within the United States and within the states here, uh, within our own state here in Minnesota, that we hear a lot about how there are so many gaps, whether it's social economic gaps, whether it's disparities, things like that. So what I wanted to do here is just share just a little bit of information as it relates to what it costs us to treat people differently, or better yet, what do those gaps cost us? So I've got some data here, and, and I would tell you, anytime you listen to me on the radio or on the Internet, if you ever see me speaking, please Google anything that I say to make sure that I am sharing the right facts with you. So this information comes from an organization called the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. And they focus on getting research in to help us understand what the impact of racial discrimination is on our country or really what it is on the planet. So the first thing they do is they talk about five different areas. One of the areas is housing. Another area is education. Another area is health. Another area is criminal justice. And the fifth area is employment and entrepreneurship. So here's what I want to do. Let's talk about housing for a minute. Where we are born and raised affects our opportunity for good health, education, employment, and wealth. That sounds like that's pretty straightforward, right? But let me share a few numbers with you that I got when I was taking a look at this. The gap in median net worth between white households, and we're going to focus on people of color here, and households of color, guess what that is? $110,000. So if the average black person has 
$30,000, then the average white person has $140,000, okay? That's money left on the table. 32% of black children live in concentrated poverty versus 5% of white children. Hmm, sounds like a disparity to me. Uh, 1.6x is as many whites as there are people of color that own homes. So if you're a white person, you're more almost two times as likely to own a home than a black person. Now, when you start thinking about the disparity between housing and between races, I mean, now you can understand why there are challenges in that space. Let's talk a little bit about the money that's left on the table in education. Closing the educational achievement gap can be one of the most beneficial strategies for producing economic, human, and social gains. Let me show you how much money we've left on the table. The estimated increase to the U.S. economy by 2050, if the educational achievement of black and Hispanic children is raised to the same level, not exceeding, but the same level of white children, if we did that, we would put $2.3 trillion into our economy just by doing that we didn't have to have a special law passed through congress it is no stimulus nothing all you had to do is make sure that all children are able to get the same education that's it the long-term return for every dollar spent on quality early childhood education is 13 dollars. so wherever we uh, we put money into our education system. As long as we make it equitable and fair, we'll get $13 back. I wish I could get $13 for every dollar I put into my 401k <laughs> or into my savings account. Are you telling me that I could put just that much money into education? I get that type of return? Absolutely. And, you know, when we start talking about education, you know, everyone needs education in order to make their lives better. And once you have it, it is something that no one can take from you. Now, let's take a look at health. This is a this is a crazy one here. Um, giving all groups the same opportunity for good health will be an important component of building a healthier country. We know this. The total economic gain from making sure that health disparities are removed from all people is one hundred and thirty five billion dollars. What could you do with $135 billion if you had that? Okay. Uh, if we were able just to make it so that everybody had the same health care, by 2050, we would add $230 billion to our economy. So that means making sure everybody gets vaccinated. That's sure. That means making sure everybody has access to preventive care, making sure that doctors and nurses treat all patients the same. That's a lot of money to leave on the table. Also, let's talk about how much we would save if we were able to make sure in, as we deal with the criminal justice part of this, uh, if we were just able to make sure that all people had this fair chance at a fair justice system. $50 billion is the projected savings if we were, by 2050, able to make sure that we don't 
go after blacks and Hispanics more than we do whites. So it basically what I'm saying there, and as I was slow to say that, I want to say it in the right way. Uh, if we made sure that everyone was prosecuted, given a fair chance uh, at justice at the same rate, irregardless of what their backgrounds are, we would save $50 billion. Now, there's so many things that we need to address in our country from poverty to, you know, hunger to homelessness. Just with those four, I think that I may be ticking up to something like two to four trillion dollars that if we just treated everybody right, we would have to be able to put into other kinds of things. And then this last thing that I want to talk about uh, with economic growth slowing, enabling the full creative and economic potential of all benefits the country on multiple levels. So this is talking about more about employment and entrepreneurship. So if we allowed everyone, regardless of background, the opportunity to start a business, grow a business, hire people, we would add in federal tax revenues alone, $450 billion. We would have $100 billion in additional state and local taxes And we would potentially create 9 million jobs that do not exist today. Why? Because as a black person, which I am, if I could go and start a business and get a loan or get funding or get, you know, VC, uh, which is uh, venture capital money or angel money, if I could do that at the same rate as the guys that started Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these wonderful tech uh, types of products and others, I would be in the same boat as them and I would be able to produce jobs for those that need them. So if we added all of this together, I think we're somewhere near the neighborhood of maybe four to five trillion dollars that we're leaving on the table just because we're not treating people right. So what do you want to do with this information that I'm sharing with you today? I don't know. Maybe what you want to do is take a look at how you can get involved and be able to make it so that everyone has a fair shot. I mean, isn't that what the country was built on? The pursuit of happiness. And we talk about the pursuit of happiness when we talk about it. Uh, we're talking about the pursuit of happiness, the happiness that everyone can take part in. So with that, uh, I want to share that information with you today in this segment and talk about, you know, how do we put money that's on the table? How do we, how do we take that money back or how do we recover that money that we're leaving on the table? And it basically falls in five areas. You know, we've got to make sure that people have the ability to get homes and get housing if they can. We've got to make sure that they can get a good education. We have to make sure that regardless of who you are, you get access to health care. we got to make sure that from an employment and an entrepreneur's perspective that you can start a business and be successful. So that's our first segment of the show. Where is the money? I just showed you where it is. Now, go out and get some of it and help others be better. Right. 
Welcome back to the Ellie 2.0 radio show. I'm your guest host today, David Edgerton Jr. And in this segment, we're going to talk about something that may be counterintuitive, but something I learned that I want to share with the audience today. Uh, the title of this segment is Pain is a Gift. Now, that doesn't even sound right when I say it, but it does sound kind of interesting, doesn't it? Pain is a gift. So I got an opportunity to uh, meet with a friend of mine. It was a couple of years ago. And I was working at a company, and I had this friend. And the friend uh, was great. Uh, it's good seeing her again. Uh, one of the things I noticed about it when I saw her was, and it was a woman, but uh, she was a hundred and like 80 pounds lighter. Okay. So when I first met her a few years before then, she was a heavy set person, heavy set person. And then after a while, I didn't see her for a while because I moved around the company a little bit. And then when I got to the next role that I was set up for, I saw her working again. She happened to be a security guard at the company and she used to work at the front desk. So when she came back and I saw her, I said, what happened? <laughs> you look amazing. And she was, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, makeup and, you know, she was uh, really looking fit and she was really looking like she was healthy. She had this big old smile on her face. And I was like, what happened? What did you do? What did you go through to look so great? And here's what she said, which is what I want to talk about in this short segment. She said that the pain of staying the same became less than the pain to change. And I said, okay, let me go get some lunch and process what you just told me. <laughs> She said the pain of staying the same became less than the pain of change. And when that happened, the weight went away, the health problems went away, and she started to really look great and feel great about herself. So I told you this, this segment is called Pain as a Gift, right? So what I want to do is talk about why it is. Pain is a gift, and the reason it's a gift is because it does two things. Pain tells you, first, that something is out of order, <laughs> right? I mean, if you've ever, you know, like me, worked on some of these DIY projects at home, and you think you know how to use a hammer, and you don't need the instructions, and you think you know how to use a power drill, and you don't need the instructions, and you think you know how to use a power saw. You know, we like our tools and things like that, especially with the hammer. And you just happen to miss that nail when you strike out at it, right? And it hits your thumb. Well, that's pain, and you caused it. You are totally 100% responsible and accountable for that pain you caused. But what it's telling you is that something's wrong. <laughs> So when we think about the pain and how it basically tells us something is wrong, it brings attention to an area of our life or it brings attention to an area of our career. Let's expand this a little bit. It brings attention to a situation so that now 
we can focus. I, I, I just know how it is when you stomp your toe at home and you have this pain. Well, I noticed that when the toe is hurting, the whole body has to react. <laughs> you end up being able to hobble around and you go and you try to get some ice for it or do whatever it is to take care of it. But it's telling you that something's out of order. So if it didn't tell you that, the question I have for you is what would happen if you were hurt and didn't know it? If you were in pain but didn't know it, you probably end up in a worse situation. So pain is a gift. It tells you something out of order. But here's the other thing that pain does. Pain shows us that there is weakness leaving the body. Now, this is more around the idea of exercise and you know in order to be an idealist and a very positive person you got to have energy like i hope i'm giving you right now in the show in this segment so in order to have that energy you have to be either in shape or you have to be healthy so pain when you work out for example is weakness leaving the body I know a lot of people go to the gym. A lot of people like that new Peloton thing that's out there. And no, this is not free advertising for them, by the way. <laughs> but people are going back to the gym. They're, you know, getting out and riding their bikes. I'm a cyclist myself. Uh, people are getting out and running, especially in this hot weather. Well, when you start to experience pain as you're exercising, that pain is telling you, hey, you're doing something right. And not only are you doing something right, I'm getting stronger because you're doing this. So pain is a gift. It is sharing with us that as we take care of ourselves and as we push ourselves and as we move forward in life, we're going to get stronger. So pain is a gift. So when you start thinking about any situation that you are going through, especially as an idealist, in order to truly embrace that, you're going to go through some painful situations. But here's the deal. You have to put those situations in the perspective that they're supposed to be in, which is it's either here to tell me something's wrong or it's either to tell me something like weakness is leaving my body or weakness is leaving my situation or I'm just getting stronger. So one is a notification and another is an indication that you are getting better at whatever it is that you're getting better at. So I remember this wonderful friend and talking to her, you know, after we talked about that statement and how pain helps us change. And when we start dealing with situations like, you know, the disparities that we have and how we feel about people and how do we treat people and how we look at people and expect them to do whatever we want them to do through our own expectations, we have to look at when we change that that pain is there and we have to acknowledge it. And not only do we have to acknowledge it, we just have to make sure that what we're changing to or where we're going, the pain for that has to be less than the pain of staying the same, the pain of thinking the same, the pain of doing the same thing every day, the pain of dealing with your issues that won't go away. The pain of dealing with, you know, people who have walked out of your life or people that won't treat you right. The pain of whatever your past has brought up. We want the pain of that 
to be more than the pain of change. So then when that happens, guess what? You will change. You are listening to the Ellie 2.0 radio show. And I'm David Edgerton. And we will continue to talk about these great things in our next segment. And welcome back to the LA 2.0 radio show. I am David Edgerton Jr., your host today. In this segment, I want to talk about something that's fun, at least fun to me, and maybe fun to a lot of people that are out there. And that is what the game of Texas Hold'em has taught me about life. Now, I don't know if uh, you play this game or if you play other kinds of card games or other kind of poker games specifically, but... There are so many lessons, there are so many life lessons, we'll put it that way, that I got from the game. I want to share with you to keep us on the positive note today. So for those that don't know, basically you get a flop, which is three cards, uh, then you get a turn card and then a river card. And what you basically do is you make the best hand that you can in order to win the hand and it's it's a great great game to play. Uh, when I worked at a company, there was a guy who had a poker tournament that was used to generate funds for his nonprofit. So we all pay forty bucks and we play. And I happened to win that tournament uh, one time. I was the fiftieth tournament winner, so that was good, or at least the winner of the fiftieth tournament, I should say. So the first thing that I want to talk about is when we're talking about playing the game, right? You have to get in the game itself in order to win. <laughs> and that's how life works, right? If you don't get into life and if you don't play life till its fullest, guess what? You can't expect to win at the game of life. You have to get in it. You can't stay on the sidelines. You can't stay on the bench. You must engage and you must get into the game of life to win. Okay, just like poker, just like poker. Now, the second principle I want to share with you is this. Um, you know, that basically when you play the game, you have to know the hands, right? That can beat hands, right? I now know that a flush will beat a straight. Okay, as an example. And a flush, you know, five cards of the same suit. The straight is the numerical order of your cards you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, anything like that, regardless of the suit. So you got to know which hand wins. That affects how you play the game. So how does that work with life? You got to know what will kill you <laughs> in order to take full advantage of life. You just have to. You got to know that if you make certain decisions, what is out there that could be detrimental to you, that could be uh, a obstacle to you, if you make a certain decision, right? So that's knowing what hands can beat your hand, right? So let's talk about something else that I learned in the game. You know, 
whenever you play the game, you have to realize that every decision costs you something. (laughs) Every decision costs you something. If you stay in the game, you have this thing called the big blind and the little blind. So, and it goes around the table, but basically the small blind may be, let's say it's $5, and then the large blind might be 10 And everybody has to pay eventually in the game that $5 small blind or that $10 big blind in order to play a hand. Now, what does that have to do with life? Well, here's what it has to do with life. Every time you either play or sit out, you are spending a resource. And you may be saying, well, what's that resource? Is it money? Mm -mm, Nope. The resource you have is time. Time is the resource we all have. We can't buy more of it. We can't uh, sell it. We can't do anything else with it. Uh, Whatever time we have is the time we have. So as you're going through life making decisions, right, there's some decisions that may require more time for you. But then there's this thing called opportunity cost. What do you lose if you go a certain way? That is also something you got to pay attention to. So which blind are you paying, the small or the large? And here's the thing. In the game, the blinds go up. Well, why do they go up? Because in a tournament style, they're trying to make sure that you are not only uh, playing the game to win, but also if your chip stack is small, you're not going to last long. <laughs> so that's why that's a part of the game. So you got to make sure you manage your asset of time as good as you possibly can. Okay, now let's jump on down to another principle uh, that I'd like to share with you. Because, you know, in life, you know, just like poker, you must know before you play the game and before you make certain moves and certain decisions, you must know the downside of what that decision could or move could bring to you. Once you know that, then you can go out and make better decisions. Know what the cost is. What does it cost you in order to play? Here's another thing that's in this uh, poker game that I picked up. Um, And basically, you must pay to see the flop. (laughs) Okay? So here's what that means. The people that pay the blinds, right, they're going to see the flop because that's just what they do because they already made their investment. But there are other people who are making this decision in order to play or not. And that's when they have to ante up. You probably heard that term, but ante up basically says, hey, are you in or are you out? (laughs) So here's the thing. In order to even play the game, in order to ever play the hand, in order to even see if you have a chance to win, you must pay or you must ante up. Now, what does that do with life, right? What does that have anything to do with life? Well, there's a lot of things that you want to do in life that have a cost. They have an entry cost. <laughs> Maybe it's, hey, I need to get a new job or I need to get a new uh, role and I need some education. That education is anti is the ante up that you have to do. <laughs> you must go out and get the education in order to even a apply or even qualify. See, that's the thing. Sometimes we look at, well, what do I need to even have a chance at doing something? 
Well, yeah, you got to ante up. You got to come with either some education, you got to have some training, got to have some experience, or if it's a business, you got to make an investment in your own business in order to have it. You must be able to put some cash in, put some sweat equity in, whatever it is, there is something you're going to pay in order to take advantage of that. And the question becomes, well, do you really want to do it, right? And that's another thing that poker taught me. Not only do you need to know the hands, you need to know, you know, what is your chance of winning? (laughs) Once you see the flop, once you see, you know, how people are betting, what's your chance of winning? We're going to call that risk. We're going to call that risk. Here's where that famous song that comes to play, comes to mind to me is, uh, yeah, I know when to hold them, know when to fold them. <laughs> right? You know, that's a true statement. You have to manage risk when you play this game. And the risk you're managing is whether or not you're going to keep what you have or lose it all. So you have to manage risk. But in order to manage risk, you have to take a chance. You have to get in and play. All right? So you've got that. Uh, another thing that you have is this it takes time it takes time and practice to get good at the game itself right in fact now you can go on ESPN and you can watch you know World Poker Tour not giving them any free advertising on this as, as well but just as an example and you can see people that all they do is pay $10,000 go out to Vegas play poker for like weeks you know days on end and hopefully they'll make it to the end table, which is where they actually, you know, make a lot of money. But here's the thing. You have to play consistently in order to get good at it. So you have to take risks consistently in order to be good at that. You have to make decisions based on the information that's placed in front of you consistently in order to be good at that. Uh, we have the saying in my house where what we try to do is be consistently consistent. <laughs> you know what that does? That gives you a foundation to be able to grow from and to build from. So as we're going out and trying to make the world better, we have to be consistently consistent. So, like I said, I'm not a poker expert at all. I'm telling you, I'm not a poker expert. However, as I continue to play the game, there are so many things that you can pick up from it. Um, you know, when you you might start with two cards in the game, and then you know you see the next three cards, and you think you got a really good hand, right? As you're playing the game, so the question is, you know, what do you do with it? What do you do with the risk? You know, and then as you continue to get cards, you notice how people start to increase their bets and say, oh. I'll raise you this, or I'll meet what you got, or you you get the poker face, right? And that's another lesson I learned. <laughs> Emotional intelligence is one of the things everybody needs to have. So when people say, hey, you don't have a poker face, I would tell you, go out and try to figure out how you can have one. <laughs> because you're going to run into situations where you're going to try to communicate with people. They're going to try to communicate with you. And based on body language, based on tone of voice, based on, you know, expressions that you have, that might make your conversation go better or it might make it go worse, actually. So uh, when you start looking at having a poker face, guess what? It's very important to have emotional intelligence. And what that does is it just says this, I can control 
how I feel, how I react, and what I can do is leverage that in order to make sure that I get what I need and to get whatever it is I'm going after, okay? So the poker face, that's another principle there that you could take from the game as it relates to emotional intelligence. Now, here's another thing, and I really like this, and I think this might be the last one I share with you here. Uh, If you don't succeed the first time, right, try again. I did say that. But uh, look at the hands that you played and the decisions you've made in the game. See, a lot of people don't do that. They don't go back and say, okay, here's what the scenario was. I got this. They did this. Uh, I bet they didn't bet. You know, you don't go back over decisions you make when you play the game. Uh, and the problem with that is you don't learn <laughs> from those decisions. So if you would go back in life and look at some of the decisions you made and what the outcomes were, look for every lesson that you can find because there's a lesson in it. There's a lesson in every decision you make. The decision you went, uh, I'm sorry, the decision that you made to go to school. Well, why'd you make that decision? The decision of what school to go to. Why'd you make that one? The decision to go into the field that you went into. Why'd you make that decision? The decision to, you know, move to a certain area of the country. Why'd you make that decision? Always go over those and see if there's something that's coming out of that that would help you. I have so many more, but based on the segment, I'm going to go ahead and close out because, you know, I, I have to go back and actually work on my game some more and see if I can come up with some more principles for you. So with that, this is the Ellie 2.0 show with your host, David Edgerton Jr. Welcome back to the Ellie 2.0 radio show. I am your guest host today, David Edgerton Jr., and I have had a great time just coming to the studio here and sharing just a couple of thoughts with you, you, the great audience of this show. And I want to thank Ellie again for the opportunity to do that. To close out the show, I thought that I would share this thought with you. You know, in life, you know, no matter what you're doing and what goals you have and, and where you're going, you need three types of people in your life. You know, I don't know anyone that is successful, that has accomplished a lot, and has made an impact on the world that didn't have these three people that I'm about to describe to you in this segment. Uh, and then let me tell you about the first person. The first person that you need in your life is definitely the person you aspire to be. And then you say, okay, well, who is that? Well, There's got to be somebody out there that you look up to and somebody who's doing great things that you would like to do as well. Maybe it's a judge. Maybe it's a basketball player. Maybe it's a CEO. Maybe it's a principal. Maybe it's a pastor. I don't know. But it's somebody that you're looking at and saying, hey, I want to do what they do. Here's why you got to have them in your life. 
you have to have them in your life because, one, they keep you hungry. And you say hungry, you mean like need to eat food kind of hungry? No, they keep you hungry in spirit, okay? They keep you wanting to do more, try more, experience more so that you can get to where they are. And it could be as simple as, hey, you have someone who does a certain kind of job or they're in a certain position that you want, right? If you have them in your life and you see what they do and they can talk to you and you can connect with them, they may teach you what it is that it takes in order to get to that spot. So you got to have that person in your life. The next person that you got to have in your life, this person, we're going to call this person the peer because they are where you are in life. And you may say, well, why do I have to have somebody that's, you know, similar to me in my life? (laughs) And I'm not talking about identical twins or anything like that. I'm just simply saying, hey, maybe let's say you have graduated from college and you've been working five years. Well, maybe you have another person in your life who's graduated from college and is working about five years as well or six years or four years. Just depends. Well, why do you got to have that person in your life? Here's why they are so important. They are so important because what they do is they keep you grounded. These people, if they're where you are in life, right, and in maturity and development, what they do is they say, hey, I'm going through that or that issue you're experiencing. Uh, I just went through that last week. (laughs) Here's how I got through it, right? Uh, And then the thing is, you get to do the same thing for them. They'll come to you and say, hey, you know, uh, maybe I just lost my job or something's going on. And now, based on your experience and where you are, you can share with them. So this is the person that is your peer, or, you know, keeps you grounded. So you got the person that you want to be in your life. Then you got the person that is where you are. And you're on the same journey, in a sense. You know, life is a journey. And when I say the same journey, it doesn't mean that you're starting at the same spot and you're going to the same destination. That's not what I'm saying. You're on a journey of development. You're on a journey of finding out who you are and what you are. And I'll tell you, these these people help you because, you know, there's two days that are the best days of your life. The day you're born and then the day you find out why. And these people can probably help you figure out that second day, you know, why you're here and wh- why you're on this earth breathing because everyone is here for a reason. So those are the first two. And then last but definitely not least, the person you need in your life other than the person you're trying to be and the person that's grounding you and at the same level you are at is the person that looks up to you as a role model. Now, that may sound kind of interesting or maybe weird to some people, but here's why you need somebody looking up to you. There's a lot of reasons, actually. The first reason is they keep you humble. (laughs) Imagine... If you came out of, for example, poverty or you came out of a a situation and then you got yourself together, picked yourself up, went to school or you you got the job or you started the business, you did all the stuff. And then there's somebody who's looking at you 
from the same spot you came from. How powerful is it that they see someone that looks like them, basically could be them, be successful? That gives you a responsibility to take your life and make it in a way that someone else can see it and actually get better by seeing you get better. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. So when you're out there thinking about, okay, I'm meeting people, I'm interacting with people, I want you to think about those three people I just told you that you need to have in your life. You got to have the person out there that you're trying to be. You know, who knows? Maybe they're driving down the street in a Mercedes or an Aston Martin or a Maserati, right? If if that's who you want to be, that is totally fine. Totally fine. Just make sure they're doing stuff legally. <laughs> so with that, and there is nothing wrong uh, basically to see people that you want to be well, no matter what they have. And try to aspire to be them. That, that's totally fine. And then when you have people that are on your level, yes, you want to have many people with many experiences on your level. Here's why. Because the decisions you make are based on the limitations of your exposure. So the more people that you have at your level that gives you more of a perspective that would go into your decision making and also on how you respond to different things. That you experience. And then that last person, that person that looks up to you, I'm telling you, uh, it is really humbling to have someone say, you know what, when I follow you, whether it's on, you know, if you do social media or not, that's fine. But if they follow you on social media or they follow your career or they follow your path as far as what you do, they see what you do in the community, they see how you bring such a positive impact, especially us idealists, right? You know, us people that, you know, go out and try to change the world. People are watching that. So we are inspiring the next generation of leaders, the next generations of presidents, the next generations of CEOs, the next generation of just all out great people. Now, as we end the segment here, let's make sure that you have those three people in your space, the person you aspire to be, the person that is on your level, your peer, and the person that aspires to be you. Again, I want to thank you for having me as a guest host on the Ellie 2.0 radio show. Thank you, Ellie, again for the opportunity. And to the audience, thank you so much for your time to listen to this show. Again, I am David Edgerton Jr. signing off as a guest host for the Ellie 2.0 radio show. Have a great one. Stay cool and love each other and make the planet better. <laughs>